This is Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. Call the show now at 760-480-8477. Email us at officehours at wscal.edu. Now, Scott Clark. Imagine you're on a beautiful desert island. You've unplugged from the digital world. No cell phone, no Twitter, no Facebook, no radio, and no TV. You can only take with you five books. Which five books would you choose and why? These are the questions we're asking the faculty on Season 3 of Office Hours. Charles Telfer is Assistant Professor of Biblical Languages at Westminster Seminary, California. He's a graduate of Gordon-Conwell Seminary and a Ph.D. candidate at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Before joining us here, he served as a pastor in the Chicago area and in North Carolina and as a missionary in Northeast Africa. He's taught Greek at the seminary level for seven years. His doctoral research looks at the exegetical methodology of the Reformed theologian Campigius Vitringa, who died in 1722, and particularly at his commentary on the book of Isaiah. Hi, Charles, and welcome to the island. Thank you very much. You're on a cruise, maybe with R.C. Sproul or Mike Horton or Bob Godfrey in the, in the shipwrecked, and uh, you found yourself all alone on a desert island, but you brought along five volumes, which you had wrapped in a watertight backpack just for the occasion. So here you are on the island with your five volumes, with the sunshine, gentle breezes, time away from all of the distractions of quotidian life. What are those five volumes, and why did you bring them? Well, I think if push came to shove for all of us, and we were indeed forced to be on a desert island, I think there's probably one book that all of us would bring, and that would be the scriptures, of course. In my case, for the sake of the discussion, let's make it one particular version. That would be Jerome's version, the the Vulgate. So I've been enjoying uh, the Vulgate for some time. That would be the main volume that I bring along. Interesting. Tell us about your relationship with the Vulgate, because that's a choice that the listener might not have expected, and it's almost certainly a choice that many people would not have made. So why? Tell us a little bit about the Vulgate. What is it? So the listener knows. And then why it's significant enough for you to be on the island. Well, the Vulgate is the work of Jerome, of course, whom they called Homo Trilinguus, three language man. I mean, it was the standard Bible for many generations of folk throughout the Middle Ages. In my case, the, the reason for bringing it is not so much the one particular version of the Bible, but the fact that it's in Latin. I very much enjoy reading the Bible in various other languages, and so right now it's Latin. Latin's essential to my dissertation at this point in time, and I have very much enjoyed reading the Latin Bible. And I, I read the Latin Bible in connection with the English Bible and the Hebrew Bible for the Old Testament or the Greek Bible in connection with the New Testament. It's a tremendously important background for the Western Church for a thousand years, and it's a very important background to the Reformation and... It's a very important background to English translations, particularly the authorized version. Something that I have noted over the last 15 or 20 years is how often some of the, let's say, unusual or difficult translational choices that were made in the authorized version can be traced back to the influence of the Vulgate. And so I often tell people, if you get stuck and you're not sure why they did what they did, check the Vulgate, because you may well, I have in any case, found instances where Yes, that's the reason. That's the background. So that was their English Bible. If you were an Oxford or Cambridge scholar in the early 17th century, late 16th century, that to a large degree, that would have been your Bible. That, and along with the Latin translation of the New Testament by Theodore Beza, came to supplement and in some cases replace the Vulgate New Testament, and then the uh, Old Testament done by Emmanuel Tremelius and uh, Franciscus Junius. I'm not sure to what degree it replaced, but certainly supplemented the Vulgate for a lot of Reformed people through the 17th century. 
How often do you find yourself reading the Vulgate? I read a little section every day. And what's your impression of it as a piece of literature, as a translation, and as an instrument or medium for communicating Scripture? Well, I'm becoming a bit more slowly over time sensitive to some of the translational distinctions. I think that perhaps Jerome was more on his own for Old Testament and more in connection with others in the New Testament. Perhaps um, it's a bit more standardized. I find it just fascinating how he might particularly translate this or that obscure Hebrew phrase. But it's essentially literal, it seems to me, and it's a very serious effort. It's a a high point of scholarship, and it's a worthy and a glorious uh, piece of work. It's a great way, too, if the listener is thinking about learning Latin or knows somebody who's working on learning Latin, it's a great way to improve your English language skills, and it's a great gateway into the Greek New Testament and a great way to connect with the Reformed tradition. There's a great lot of Reformed literature that's never been translated And if you learn Latin, it opens that up. Now, it takes a little while to get the facility to be able to read that stuff, but but it can be done. We have students doing it here on a fairly regular basis. Okay, well, you've surprised us with your first choice. What's the next text? Dalamore on Whitfield. That I'm, I'm. I really like reading biographies of notable Christians, and that work has been. Uh, it's inspiring to hear to see God at work through His servants and in circumstances in times past. It's a delightful thing to You're do. To office hours. Office hours. From Westminster Seminary, California. Is there a particular episode that sparks your interest or moved you or affected you in some way? His frame of mind, his charitable attitude towards all others, even and particularly towards those who opposed him. He is very—he's always gracious, willing to be reconciled, even to people who've been bitterly opposed to him. And it's such a striking evidence of God's Spirit at work in and in, in through him. Uh, it's such a high standard and model for, for all of us, it seems to me. Is there a particular episode in Whitfield's life that, that uh, resonates with you? Not, not aside from what I just mentioned in terms of his attitude of spirit. It's, it's a great introduction to what's going on in the, in the colonies— you know, in this country at that at that point in time, that's that's been uh, very instructive as well. Perhaps on the question of hagiography, I, from a strictly academic perspective, of course, we have to be careful not to overly. We don't want to praise our subjects in an unbalanced way. But perhaps in in a, in a cynical age in which we live, perhaps we need more hagiographies in the positive sense. You know, the saints' histories. We need work that 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 it's particularly appreciative of the achievements of those that have gone before us. In the beginning, God said, "Let there be." And there was. God the Father created through His Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God the Son is the Word. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. God the Spirit works through the preaching of the Word. For 31 years, Westminster Seminary, California has stood for the truth and reliability of God's Word. Westminster Seminary, California. WSCAL.edu 760-480-8474 Westminster Seminary, California For Christ, His Gospel, and His Church What's your third volume? I would want to, in an ideal world, I'd I'd want to bring something that had a, a mix of literatures to it, something that had breadth. Perhaps one way of doing that would be, and this is cheating, of course, perhaps as I've been doing you all along. You will be the first but, person uh, to cheat. Yeah. 
would be something like a, a Norton anthology of English literature, something like that. It would get some poetry as well as other forms of literature. But let me focus on one particular type of literature, and that would be drama. You know, how do you answer this question about what to bring on a, to a desert island? What one is read that one's appreciated, or what one would like to read that one's interested in? And on that question, there's a particular volume of Shakespeare's plays that I would like to read, and that was one that my own grandfather edited. Uh, he was assistant to uh, Barrow at Princeton, where he did his doctoral work. And that's something I've never really picked up and read through, that uh, I think it's got 13 of Shakespeare's plays, and I, that would be well worth attending to. He wrote the, uh, the biographical introductions. I'd like to read through all those. My own son is a is an actor, and and uh, he's been involved in some Shakespeare and is involved in a, in a Shakespeare production right now, as a matter of fact. Tell us a little bit about your grandfather. What's his um, name? His name is uh, Robert Stockdale Telfer, and he did his work in English at Princeton University under uh, Mark Perot, and they published some Shakespeare material under a number of different uh, editions, one of which was uh, World War II. I forget exactly how you say it. World War II kind of continuing education class for uh, for soldiers, uh, three volume piece. I thought that was uh, that was wonderful. Do you have experience reading Shakespeare? Well, I think all of us have had some Shakespeare from school days, and that was certainly the case. And then uh, my wife and I met in a British literature class at the University of Illinois. That was very significant. We ended up on kind of on the same side of debates, defending shall we say Christian points of view against uh, those those who were in opposition. That's not. I'm not saying that 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 was uh, always the case with with Shakespeare, but someone like Milton, for example, that was definitely the case. Uh, and I've always been a lover of his plays, especially if they're if they're presented. But I would say no, simply as a student of human nature, perhaps, and uh, one who exposes our our weaknesses in uh, humor in in incisive and uh, often humorous ways. Tell us a little bit about yourself, since the listener may just be meeting you for the first time. Tell us a little bit about how you come to Westminster Seminary, California. Well, I come via a pastor in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. I've been in the Chicago area for about 10 years, and through teaching Greek courses. The teaching of languages is something I've done for many, many years, be that Spanish. I taught Spanish for a number of years at Gordon College. I taught English in Africa for a number of years. Where in Africa? In Northeast Africa. I was teaching as well as serving. We were working in church planting and theological education, but in addition to that, in order to maintain my visa where I was, I was teaching at a teacher's training college. And so your responsibilities here involve teaching courses both in New Testament Greek and in biblical Hebrew. Charles, if someone says, look, I can read my English Bible, and uh, men have said that I'm godly and mature, and I'm ready for pastoral ministry, and I don't need to spend the time that it would take, or even the resources it would take to learn Greek and Hebrew, how would you answer that? Well, I might say, if pastoring is something that you're going to do in your leisure time on weekends— that's fine. If you view pastoring and preaching of the gospel as a life calling, that this is the central passion and emphasis of your life, then spending a few hundred hours in learning the languages of Scripture, which will give you a lifetime of engaging the Bible as God gave it to us originally without having to depend on translators, then you won't be at the mercy of every commentator or anyone who says, well, this is what the original says. You can look at it yourself, and you'll be in a much stronger position as an expositor of God's Word for years and years to come. I have the sense today that there are students who think, well, I'm not sure that it is feasible. We're seeing students who've never studied any other language than English, and in some cases haven't even really studied English in a traditional, formal, academic way, so that the first time they've ever really encountered language as a field of study is here at the graduate level at Westminster Seminary, California. So I can imagine a listener thinking of going to seminary 
thinking, oh, I don't know. Encourage that student that, in fact, yes, you can do this. Perhaps this whole exercise in Desert Island books would be is a good place to start. We're living in, a, in an increasingly illiterate society that encouraging people to read is perhaps the most important foundation for their, for their seminary studies. But here we are. I've had an undergraduate degree in, let's say, art or whatever, that, some technical degree or that has very little to do with languages or the liberal arts for that matter. Well, that's where I'm at. If I'm soberly convinced that God's calling me to take preparation for the ministry, then, then I jump in. Uh, and we here at Westminster, we provide remedial help for those who need it. For example, I'm assigning a book called English for Students of Foreign Languages. So it, it, it introduces the terms that are essential for uh, learning any particular language. You're listening to Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. That's helpful, Charles. Thank you. And I'm sure the listener will appreciate the encouragement. And let me say that we've been teaching students here now for more than 30 years with 800 graduates, and most of them have come to us without Greek or Hebrew, and many of them without a lot of formal training in language at all, and every single one of them who has graduated and are prepared to enter into a life of ministry using the original languages, reading it, studying it, for a lifetime of study of the Word of God. It's not that you're finished studying the original languages when you leave Westminster Seminary, California. It's that you've entered into now a beginning of reading the Word of God in its original languages. All right. Now you've had time to think of that fourth volume. What would that be? It would be something in fiction, in English fiction. Perhaps, I'm sure other people probably commented on Lord of the Rings or even Harry Potter for that matter. But I'd like to mention Charles Williams' novels. Charles Williams, as a novelist, has produced something that I've never really quite run across before. These are very unusual tales. He brings supernatural realities to bear on our very daily secular lives in the here and now. I think we who have lived in a rather secular world, to have God's presence, to have the supernatural, both the demonic and the divine, impinging is very valuable. It's that bringing of the supernatural to the now, to help us think about God right here, right now. There are unspeakably glorious realities that are just around the corner, and we hardly ever think of them. Okay, your fifth volume. Well, if you're going to be on a desert island, what more appropriate book than uh, Daniel Defoe's Robinson Crusoe, eh? Though cheating as I am, I would throw in a twist. I would take Robinson Crusoe in two editions. On my desk, I have Robinson Crusoe in the English and Robinson Crusoe in the Hebrew. This is a great story, and it's a great opportunity for me to work on my Hebrew as well. What is it about the story that interests you? This is an early 18th century work by Daniel Defoe about a fellow on an island. Is there something particular about the story that attracts you as such? His, his conversion is of, is of interest and uh, just the daily things of, uh, of life there. Most of my colleagues have tried to sneak additional volumes onto the island. If you had an opportunity to signal with a mirror, let's say, an airlift, an airdrop, would there be anything else that you'd like to signal them to drop for you on the island as you wait for the rescue ship to come and get you? I guess I would have to say something of poetry. And the value of it? Seeing the world more broadly, becoming more intentional in the way I live, and just appreciating the beauty of a thought well-expressed and a sentiment well-crystallized. Thanks for for listening to Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe now to Office Hours in iTunes. Find all the shows at wscal.edu slash officehours. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved.